Live from the J.C. Newman Cigar Studios in Boston, Massachusetts, welcome to the Smokin' Tobacco Show with your hosts, Matt Tobacco and Smokin' Nicole. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Smokin' Tobacco Show. My name is Matt Tobacco from SmokinTobacco.com, and I am joined once again by my very good friend, Mr. Jonathan M. Carney, sporting that Alabama hat tonight uh, for our very special guest. Uh, Yeah, Roll Tide. Uh, we are joined tonight by the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Nick Perdomo of Perdomo Cigars. Nick, thanks for being here with us tonight. Uh, it's always a treat to have you on the show. Well, likewise. Thanks, guys, for having me. Great night tonight. So a uh, couple of things, I guess, uh, before we really get down to business. Uh, big, big news. Uh, John, I would say it's safe to say uh, you guys are in the red zone. At the Carney household, yep. you are you are uh, first and goal on the five yard line. Uh, you guys are due any day now for uh, for Baby Autumn, who shall be joining this world very soon. I tell you, it's funny you make that reference because I feel like it's like at the end of the game. You know when it's first and goal or second and goal, people are calling timeouts to make sure you get the right play. Like I think both of us are just ready for her to arrive. Yeah, we're we're at the thirty-eight, past the thirty-eight week mark, so technically, it's full term. But uh, but yeah, we're 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 hot in the red zone. If this was the NFL Sunday ticket, we would be uh, Andrew Siciliano would be calling the uh, be calling the shots right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's uh, the biggest thing is the pregnancy goes well, the delivery goes well. Your daughter comes into this world healthy, and then um, your wife, as I'll refer to her as, um, you know, she has a good delivery, and she's safe, and everyone's good. Uh, that's the biggest thing. You know, we want a nice, safe delivery, so we hope it all goes well. Do you have the go bag packed yet? Like that bag that you got to oh, grab? Yeah, we've, had, <laughs> we've, had the, we've got the, the, the seats are in the cars. Everything's good to go. I, I said to my wife tonight before I came on the show, I think um, did some work outside today, and uh, I said to her, I said, once this is done and once I get to, I have one more camera to put up in the, uh, the nursery area. And once that's up, I said to her, we're done and we're ready to go. I mean, you can give birth at any time. So as of tomorrow morning, I will be 100% ready, uh, ready for it to happen at any time. Nick, I wanted to let you know, I think, I don't know, something with your mic change because your sound is, uh, we're hearing a lot more background noise. And uh, did it's uh it's wind. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, I know it's the wind, but it wasn't getting that before. It was pretty quiet before. I don't know if maybe. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I've got the same mic. A lot of noise out there. It's, <clears throat> it's a little windy out here. Uh, sounds, you hear the, uh, sounds better the now. Yeah, it's, it's better now. It, it just picks up when, uh, when he's, when he's not talking, it's picking up. But this shows about him, so he's gonna be doing a lot of talking. Yeah. And Nick, I know we called you the man. He called you the man, the myth. I think we can take the myth part out. He's definitely just the man. Yeah, he's the man. So we can take the myth <laughs> part of. There's no myths about that. But um, I'm smoking. I, I picked up some Perdomo today. I went to Cigars on the Avenue here in Winter Park, Florida, and I picked up something I'd never seen before. And I don't know if I hadn't seen it because I'm ignorant or if it's because it's new. But there's a couple things I want to mention about. I got uh, this is the the Perdomo Vintage, aged 12 years. This is double aged, barrel aged. And the coolest thing about this is it tells me what the wrapper, binder, filler, and there's one other thing here. Nice. Yeah, it's telling me about the wrapper. 
it tells me it's got Viso yeah. so it's got the blend labeled on the band. So it's the Solomon size. So tell me a little more about this. Well, that's that's the seasonal release that we have. We only do about two thousand boxes a year, John. And uh, basically, the the the, uh, the band has tasting notes on it, which I thought was pretty cool to do. And uh, all that tobacco was certified by our family. That it, basically the tobacco when we, when we came out the twelve year double age vintage. I'm a single mom guy, so um, I'm drinking this Yamasaki twelve year in honor of you guys here. And one of the big things I wanted to do was I wanted to come out with a concept. My father was alive at the time, and I wanted to come out with a tobacco and not like vintage, just vintage, but something that when it was in the box, the tobaccos would have a dozen years on them in the event of my love for single malt scotch. And that's how we came out with this this brand. And uh, we've had three series of it. I won't have it much longer because I just don't have the tobacco. We're looking at maybe the end of 24 when we're finished out with it by the time we're releasing the cigars. So uh, I hope you enjoy. And the Solomon Sides is a very unique side. It's, it's, it's actually freeform by hand. And um, I think you're going to enjoy it. I, I've not had it before. And I picked up one of the 10-year uh, Maduros because that's what I smoked last year when we were on the show. And I actually Ooh. smoke these quite regularly so when I'm you know, smoking different cigars. And I really enjoy it. But uh, I saw this one on the, on the right-hand side. Uh, just below it, and I was like, you know what? I hadn't seen that before, um, so it kind of spiked my interest. What, what does double? What does double aged mean? Well, the tobaccos are, are aged in after they're cured and fermented and aged in, in barrels. I mean, I'm sorry, in bales. They go for an additional two years in bourbon barrels. Not that they need that much time, but I couldn't certify the age if I didn't do it that way. So what we did is we we call it double aged because not only was it aged in in, in bales like tobacco normally is, but then they're 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 put in bourbon barrels and they're aged in bourbon barrels for for an extra twenty four months. That's why we pass the name double aged vintage. Yeah, yeah no, it's a really really cool. It's a really good start to it. One thing I like about Solomon's and any any figurado like this when it comes down to a, a fine taper is how you get a little tight draw at the beginning, which, in my opinion, allows it to evenly burn. And then it opens up about like a tenth of an inch in, so I know that's about to come, and it really transforms the way your cigar smokes. So that's something I always enjoy about those sizes. So I was, I'm real fired up about this one. Well, good. Good. How about you, Matt? What are you smoking? So I am smoking the one of my favorites of all time. This is the uh, Perdomo 20th Anniversary Epicure. Cigar, Sun Grown. Uh, I, lo I absolutely love Perdomo Sun Grown, although I'm starting to, my palate for Perdomo is starting to change, and I'm, I'll get into that later. It's going more Maduro. Um, this cigar, you can find at twoguyscigars.com for $9.99 for a single, or you can find a box for $198.99, and that is at the number twoguyscigars.com. Um, I, uh, I, you know, for me, I've always been a um, Perdomo Sungrown guy, and I've t and I've told you guys this. I mean, you guys both know this. Uh, I've always loved the Sungrowns, the Twentieths, uh, the Habanos, the ESVs, ESVs, um, some of my favorites. But lately, I don't know what it is. I've been leaning more into the Maduros, and I've been really liking the Maduro. That the the tenth Maduro that you've had a lot of success with this year, and we'll talk about that. Um, was was really good. I recently I found what did I find? I found some of the Habano Maduros, and 
I had a couple of those laying around. I lit some up, and I was like, wow. And I think I smoked, like, the four that I had, like, all in a row that week. It was like every night I had one. It was just – it was fantastic. They were great. And I just – I don't know. My, I Now I think when I think Perdomo, I'm starting to think Maduro more, and I'm just enjoying it. It's such a rich flavor, especially with the Nicaraguan tobaccos. You know, I uh, I just – that's been my thing lately. And, you know, earlier in, like, in the summer, I was I was really craving, like, a lot of – like really mild Dominican tobaccos, and now I find myself kind of going back to those rich, darker Nicaraguan tobaccos, and that's kind of where I've uh, it's where I've been lately, actually. Well, I'm in good company because I'm smoking the uh, the twentieth also Epicure, and then I'm gonna join my I'm gonna join the, you guys with a Maduro later. Nice. I'm not as privy as, as Mr. John is smoking that twelve year. You know, I don't get to smoke <laughs> many of those. My dad should never smoke your own stash, you know, so I try to follow that, you know. I, but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm definitely going to grab, I'm definitely going to grab a couple more of these, and um, I, I'm, I'm already enjoying it a lot, and it's, that system is kind of unique, and I don't know if this is a maturation of, of how your blending's been and what your, your, your concepts have been with the company, but when I started smoking Perdomo probably 15 years ago, uh, I think it was 15 years ago, the, the, the Lot 23s, were, th- were those out then? It might have been 12 right. years ago. I have a lot yeah, 23 lot Maduro. 23. Yeah, that's been out for 21 years, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it must have been about 15 years ago, and I would smoke the lot 23s, and I smoked the Habano version. And what drew me to it at first was the, the box, because when you opened the box, it had the farm and the designs in the background. Uh, so I was like, oh, that's really unique. And then I started smoking. And then for me, my Perdomo smoking was always – would tend to be mostly Habano was what I smoked. And it's funny that Matthew mentioned now – what I'm, what I'm, I'd say 95% of the Perdomo that I smoke now is, is Maduro, which is interesting to watch how it's changed. And I don't know if that was by design or or if if you're seeing those same type of trends in your business or not. I'm seeing a big trend and uptick in Maduro wrappers with us. And uh, I've been happy with it. I think I think because the attempt winning those awards has definitely helped. And it's also helped all the other bars that we have to, to you know, provide Maduro wrappers. But it's Still, our number one market is still Connecticut. Um, it's still the, the biggest, as you guys well know. Uh, I think about 70% of the market share is Connecticut seed wrappers, and, and that's fine. So we have something for everybody, whether it be our sun-grown wrappers or our Maduro wrappers together with our Connecticut seed wrappers. Yeah, and recently you introduced something to the market that I know uh, it, was, it, was what the, it was what the customers wanted. And I think it's a little outside your comfort zone, but and that's the Amenso. And uh, you got some, you got some bigger ring gauge cigars now uh, on the Perdomo portfolio. Tell us a little bit about that introduction. Well, we actually had that brand out in 1996, and we did we did well with this. It's an expensive cigar to make. It takes so many so many pounds of filler to make a thousand cigars. You can imagine. Takes us over seventy-three pounds of filler to make a thousand cigars versus a robusta. It takes about thirty-three pounds to make a thousand cigars, and you can't really charge a ton for it. And but look, I'm on the board of the Cigar Association of America, and I see the import numbers and the amount of of cigars that are coming in. And I listen to our sales team, and everyone said, "Hey, you got to come out with a really good seventy ring gauge cigar." A lot of people are asking for it. There's there's not many brands in the market, and we came out with it, and. Uh, it's been a, a smashing success. Um, eats a lot of good filler tobacco, but you know, the, listen, John knows as well being in the industry. You know, we work for our customers, and it's what they want. And um, 
it's 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 selling beyond my expectations to say the very least. We just had a meeting talking about this morning on on how some of these brands have, have just flown like F-16s. And the stuff for our operations guy now from Cuba because, you know, he's got to forecast all this stuff and um you know, we've ramped up production on it and uh, you know, we're trying to get we're trying to get our customers the cigars that they request and uh, Nelson's done a really good job at that. But yeah, Mensa's been as the English say, a smashing success for, for Perdomo. So I'll tell you, from from the inside of the industry, I don't think people realize how much tobacco goes into those type of cigars. And and you said it's the market has driven them to be valued. At, I mean, I, I think that Immenso's line is you're, you're between like eight to like eleven bucks. I don't think even any of the sizes go over ten without taxes. And no, they don't. It's to, to do that is is definitely keeping the consumer in mind, and, and that's been consumer driven. Um, it's you know the manufacturing. I mean, my top ten SKUs are eight of the top ten are sixty plus ring gauge cigars. You know we're very niche, but you can't you can't really make that cigar inexpensive. So when it comes out of the value, that manufacturer like yourself and, and that line and the effort you put into it, I mean, there's money that's spent into that, and it's really to give value to the uh, to the consumer it's, it's not a money grab because if it was a money grab you'd be selling them for 18 bucks yeah you're you're spot on john it's uh it takes a lot of filler i don't want to water down the cigars um i want them to taste good and uh you know you have to use beast when we had a lot of lijero tobaccos that are you know are in the upper primings and the plant doesn't produce as much as you like it to you just can't put light tobaccos in there and um our customers are happy and the, the customers who've smoked the other 70 ring gauge stuff seem to be really happy with it. So I'm happy. You know what I mean? It's, you know, I always, I always mention this, but I, you know, you guys know my son, Nicholas, I said, the only thing I care about at my stage in my career is that the retailers are happy, um, you know, promoting our products and, and our consumers are, are happy. So, you know, my dad always said it's much better to make a quick nickel and a real slow dime. And I want to be able to have the people be able to, to not only afford the cigars, but to enjoy them. And to me, that's, that's a big thing. Yeah, looking at the Immenso line, I mean, you have uh, the five by seventy, which retails for six thirty nine, the the six by seventy, which is seven thirty nine, and the seven by seventy, which retails for eight thirty nine. Um, so, I mean, yeah, great price points on some pretty beefy cigars, and like you said, that takes a lot of tobacco just to make that cigar. Um, now, I'll ask you this. I'll ask you this question. You guys can both answer this, because John, I mean, you also represent La Flor Dominicana. Um, in terms of, you know, I'm sure you guys both hear, you know, hear a lot of things and what customers ask you for. Like, oh, I wish Perdomo made this. Oh, I wish LFD made this. What each of you can answer. Nick, you can go first. I'll, I'll, I'll let each of you guys answer. What's like the one thing that people are always asking for that you guys have always just said, no, nah, we just, we don't think it's a moneymaker or we don't want to make it or whatever, uh, that you just, you have to say no to? Well, to me, it's it's the Lancero, and I'll tell you why. Um and I made them for years. I just, it's such a thin cigar. And John knows as well as anybody, when you make a proper blend, you really have to have salt, pepper, and garlic, which are light, medium, and strong tobaccos. When you have such a thin ring gauge like that, and the Lijeros, which are our strong tobaccos from Nicaragua, which are so thick, we make a brand it's, it's for champagne. It's a 5 by 38 and We actually take a pizza cutter and actually cut the strips of Lijero by hand in the wrapper department to make sure that we have all the ingredients in the cigar. And I think that 
the reason I'm, I'm, I'm I wouldn't say I'm anti uh, Lancero, but I don't think you can put the right ingredients in the cigar to really give a lot of bang for the buck for the consumer. And um, if I look at if I look at the import numbers, it's eight tenths of one percent. Me and John would probably be in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, with ten cups asking for money if we were if we had to depend on Lanceros. The keyboard cowboys are the strongest when it comes to that, but the average sales around the United States are, are very poor outside of my good friend Jorge in Houston at Stogie's. Um, it's not a, it's not a huge it's not a huge people people are looking for more flavor, bigger type cigars and I think that's the one where I just I said no, even though I did it in the early '90s, all the way through the mid '90s, and then it just stopped because, you know, we ship boxes, retailers are calling and saying, "Yeah, really, people aren't really asking for this," and it, it got to a point where I just thought I was spinning my wheels. I don't know if John feels the same way, but for us, it just never worked. Yeah, I would I would say besides the question of can you make more of a limited edition or limited production product, which is really challenging because you're limited by uh materials <laughs> um you know i'm sure you'd love to make this all the time but that's just not a reality it's that it can't happen so i'd say i get asked that quite a bit but a general run of the when you meant the second you mentioned lancero absolutely um there's every size like oh this would be great in a lancero this would be great in a petite corona uh you know this would be it, it would be great and it would and i would make it uh, and nick would make it we'd sell a bunch of them and then the retailers they would they'd end up being um, you know, like museum pieces on the shelf, which is what it turns into, uh, because for every one person that says they'll smoke them, they'll smoke one and then they go and smoke a Toro the other six, seven days of the week. And then it takes two years to go through a box of those cigars. So they do taste great. We all love them. Um, but the reality is it's, it doesn't uh, it doesn't make sense. And I, I would say that's probably the biggest question and then the person that asked that, you know, there's a lot of people that are really interested in tobacco. They want to try just that one blend. I think probably when you go down to the factory, uh, people, may, people may ask you, hey, can we get this blend in a Lancero when we're down here? Um, you know, that, that's a concept that gets asked. But maybe something at a different size certainly be the question that gets asked the most. Um, and, and when it comes to something that you're making in seven or eight sizes, you have that amount of skews in one line. Uh, you know, probably narrowed it down to probably four or five that should be the proper size, uh, you know, layout. It really comes down to Toros, Robustos, you know, Gordos, and the 60 ring gauge. And, and Churchill still have, uh, still have some good pull out there, but I mean, your, your big sales are Toro size cigars. Without a doubt. So we have we have a question from the audience here. This one's from our friend Cy Sweeney. Uh, where does Nick keep getting the inspiration and ideas to keep bringing so many different blends to the market? Top of the evening to you, my lad, my Irish friend Cy. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. Cy uh, lives in Ireland. We really don't come out with very much stuff. You know, outside of the new tenth anniversary Sun Grown and Maduro and, and the Immenso, I really it takes. I come out with a new brand normally every three to five years, but I've been in the industry for 30 years. So, you know, we got, we got, we got a couple of skews there, but I think my inspiration to answer your question is, is really what you guys do. You know, John knows that he runs a big sales force and we have our sales team. And the thing of it is, is we try to take input from our salesmen who are directly the boots on the ground that are talking to our consumers. I'm very active because I go out and I visit, I do about a hundred events a year and I visit about 600 stores in a year, believe it or not. And, uh, and 
you know, I talk to people and I want their input. They're our consumers. They're the ones who put bread on our table. And I think, I think when I come up with concepts, a lot of it is not necessarily what I like, but what I think you might like, which is, which is kind of difficult too, because, um, you know, taste is subjective. So you really want to make sure that you hit the people what they like. So, um, I think, I think that's probably the, the biggest thing, Cy, is, is what you guys like. And listen, I listen to you guys on social media and what you guys are interested in and so on. And I think that's what we work for, all of us, to, to work for our consumers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that it's, it is, you know, you look at the Perdomo line, the whole collection, all the SKUs you have, you know, and you compare it to, and not that it's a bad thing on either side, um, you know, before, you know, I, I, I get into this. You know, but you have a nice collection, a good amount of SKUs, and then there's brands out there that are they're always coming out with new SKUs, new blends, new lines, new sizes, all all the time. And you know, Perdomo, you know, you guys, you guys don't really do that. And like you said, every couple of years you come out with something new. Maybe you rework something. Maybe you take one thing out. Like, for example, like with the Tenth Sun Grown uh, and Maduro, you know, you guys had taken the. Um, the champagne sun grown and noir off the market and replaced that with those so stuff like that to cut and you and you and you still kind of kept you know your collection uh, uh, roughly a reasonable size you know i would say that that's different but you've also been really successful with that so um you know everyone has their i, I guess their approach and john i mean you i mean lfd you guys have a lot of skews and you guys have stuff that you're always working on and stuff like that. Uh, would you say that that kind of sets you apart too? Because you have maybe, you're not always focusing on, all right, what else can we do? What else can we do? You, you're just always keeping that focus on what you already have and, you know, that quality and consistency and all the things that you guys are known for. Nick, sorry, that was for you. <laughs> oh, I thought, you, I thought you were talking to John. No, no, no. <laughs> I thought you said, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, Look, I see these brands come out with a lot of different brands over and over and over again. I just maybe I'm not smart enough, but I just don't know how you can come up with with all these different types of cigars. Um, yeah. Listen, I'm I'm blessed being in Nicaragua, where you know I'm one of the largest farmers in all of Central America, and um, you know we have a genetics team that we develop our own seed strains and so on. But you know. You get to a point where you can play only so much and it takes a while and you have to forecast the tobaccos during the curing process and the fermentation process. And literally between our tasting panel, it takes us about anywhere between 36, I'm sorry, 27 and 36 months to come up with a cigar. But I know that consumers want something new. I, you know, I was just recently at a cigar store in Chicago and a guy said, listen, I've been smoking your cigars for 10 years. What do you have new? I said, well, have you ever tried the Perdomo Reserve Champagne? He said, I haven't. I said, well, that's new to you, and that's been a brand that's been out for 23 years, and we've sold a lot of them. So um, that's something new to you because we have a we have a wide portfolio. Not everybody has smoked every cigar in our portfolio, but I can get them something that I, I believe they'll enjoy. But these new cigars coming out consistently every six months, I just I can't do that. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm vertical. I mean, I, I, I can control a lot of different things, but it, I just, I can't do it. Maybe John, um, you know, he's, he's out there a lot too. And I mean, I don't know how he can answer. I just, I can't come out with three or four brands in a year and, and look myself in the face in the mirror and say, I did something good for my consumer. 
and I did something good for my retailer. And I'm not saying anything about anybody. Maybe they're they're smarter than me, and maybe they have all these tobaccos from all over the place that they can come up. But I I just can't do it, and I I, I think I'm being uh, disingenuous with my with my with my. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to put a band on a cigar that's the same cigar and make a different band just to tell the retailer it's something new so he can catapult some sales for a month. You know, I think John's strategy and our strategy is really the same. It's about having a consistent product, the top quality that works in year in and year out, not something you throw on a wall and hope it sticks. I just, I think that's wrong. Yeah. I, I think I, you're hundred percent right. So we do, we do do a lot of limited edition projects, but we utilize different tobaccos from around different areas, or we start growing different tobaccos, you know, four or five, six, seven years that are going to be used in something later on. Uh, but still the bread and butter of, you know, what we're doing is our W Hero line, our Lee Hero line, you know, that's over 70% of what we do. And the concept of that is you, you said the thing, you, you said the big difference. What it does is you said it takes 27 to 36 months for you to come up with a new cigar because you've got to plan the tobacco. You've got to plan the way to manage the seeds and you're building that cigar to taste the same every single time that they smoke it. So you have a plan in place to continue to work that blend so it's consistent to continue to control the tobacco that way. So I think a lot of these cigars that come out, and again, I'm not naming names by any means or saying anything negative about it. You see a lot of these new cigars come out and it's Habano wrapper. It's this binder. It's this filler. And it's short. It's not short sighted, but it's, you know, the tobacco is changing every year. So of course it's going to be a completely different blend and it'd be no way to do that. And, and you, you've become, I mean, I, I think you've become the expert and the leader in the industry on preparing a cigar and, that's going to taste consistent year after year after year. And then, you know, and you said it because it takes 27 to 36 months a minimum to get that out there. You're not planning something that's going to be a one hit wonder. Um, you know, we're just trying to, you know, to, to make a quick hit. So I think it's really interesting. And I think that's the key thing that you said, that time frame is, you know, in your head, you're planning something that someone can smoke a lifetime and continue to enjoy. And what I was going to ask is seems like one of the questions that gets, asked to you on your one of the show is how do you keep coming up with new blends all the time? Why do you think people think you have a lot of new stuff all the time? I don't know because I really don't. I mean, if you look at brands like Champagne 23 years, uh, Lot 23, 21 years, Perdomo Fresco, 22 years, Perdomo Habano, 19 years. Our youngest cigar outside of the, the two new ones that we came out with would be our 20th anniversary, which is the youngest, which is nine years old. So really not much. You know, John, when, when we come up with different cigars, you got to remember, I have a, a tremendous amount of inventories of fillers, binders, and wrappers. I, I have you know tens of thousands of bales of, of filler. And a lot of times, you know, we write things down. Hey, man, you know, the 2013 crop, the 2015 crop were, were outstanding. This is something we could, we could come in, you know, the higher primings on the 2017 crop were phenomenal. This is something we can come up with something for somebody who's looking for something richer. Uh, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary next August. Um, we start and we, we, we brought people down to the factory where they got to see it. We built a, uh, a large um, shade grown operation in Esteli, which is unique because of the wind flow that we have there. We actually dug that farm. We dug a divot out. It's a big divot because it's about 39 acres where we actually dug the farm about seven and a half feet below the actual farm to grow shade. The reason we did that is the prevailing winds in Esteli are out of the east consistently. And what we did is we took the west side of that farm 
and we we went underneath it. So when the winds come over, they come over on top of the cheesecloth, believe it or not. And because wind is is really damaging to wrappers, especially. But our consumers got to see, and a lot of our retailers got to see these tobaccos. And we started this project. 60 months ago you know what i mean and and we knew we were going to to eye this for this for this cigar but even back in, in those days look the last four years we weren't really sure that we were even going to use these wrappers and then we you know we have a, a big allotment of, of, of dark of dark air cured wrappers that we grew up in jalapa valley that we knew we would be using on these but these wrappers have a lot of time on them because you know, there's a lot of great rappers. Most people use Connecticut Broadleaf. They use Haltepec from Mexico. They use a lot of Brazilian. I'm unique. I use a Cuban seed that we designed that we grow in Nicaragua. It works for us. It's a bear to work with because it's very thick. We call it we call it a pan, like a, like you're a skillet is what we call it because it takes a long time and that be long to ferment it. But we like the flavor of it. But I just I don't understand because I hear retailers tell me that, you know, my salesmen and consumers and, and I've heard you guys, you know, these guys come out with cigars every six months. And, you know, hey, listen, I start out of a garage. You know, I've known your owner for a long time. I mean, we make cigars. A lot of these guys, I've never seen them anywhere and they're all cigar makers. So it's, it's, it's kind of weird. I think, I, mean? I think the big thing is, Nick, what, what you do is you cre- you've created a process to make a certain cigar for an extended period of time. And I think a lot of our industry has become, we're going to make cigars based off of what tobacco we get. So when I get the tobacco, I'm now going to make a cigar off it. You've planned out for an extended period of time is this is what my goal is going to be. This is what I'd like to make as a cigar. And I'm going to try to work this process as best as possible so I can do that. And that's the main focus. In, instead of being, I'm going to go through this process and then I'm going to smoke this stuff and then I'm going to see what I'm going to make. It's a really reversed way. And I, I think a large part of the industry, you know, it's a, a big part of the blending process. You, you know, you'll, you'll have, say you do a special, you know, a blend, you know, a private label or whatnot, um, or somebody, a brand owner starts their own brand. They're like, well, let me smoke the cigars and then I'll tell you, you know, tell you where it's, well, you know, when you're really manufacturing and really a vertically integrated company, the process starts at the seed and then that process actually starts before the seed as you're saying where you're working that seed and, and trying to get you know that product to turn into what your vision is yeah you, you're, you're spot on on that john i i don't know how you can grow tobacco start it from an infancy and say i'm going to come up with something with this because there's a lot of variances you know you have a lot of more mold spores and viruses that can attack the tobacco during its growing season even during the curing and fermentation and aging period, tobacco's change, and it might not change for the best. You know, there's a lot of new technologies that you well know that we have in our farms in Nicaragua and all the different countries that grow tobacco. And you got to be really patient. One of the toughest things about this business is, you know, what I call the bean counters. The accountants always say, well, you grow all this tobacco, you overgrow, you overproduce, you overdo this. And I always say, look, a finished cigar is better than money in the bank. And it really takes 10 years to get a customer. It takes three seconds to lose one. And we all want consistency in the cigars. I mean, look, we all smoke everybody's cigars. And, and one of the things I noticed the consumers talk about consistently is, hey, I bought a box of whatever cigar it was, and I really liked it. And when I bought the box, this cigar didn't taste the same as this cigar. And you hit it right on the head, John. You can't work from bale to bale. You have to have a structure. You have to have so much filler, binder, and wrapper that you have a strategy to do. 
we do everything in lot numbers. So when we have everything, we have it coded by by the blends that we have, and that's how we can build the consistency. But you got to remember, you know, our facilities in Esteli, and I'd love for both of you guys to come down. Um, you know, we have 5,032 workers down there, and uh, these guys are, are phenomenal. But it, it's a big chain, man. Everybody's pulling the same way. And, you know, last year we, we grew on, we grew 1,723 acres of, of, of tobacco, which it might not be much for corn, but it's sure a lot for, for tobacco. And, um, you know, we continuously do this year in and year out to provide our consumers around the world a consistent product. And I certainly couldn't imagine putting a seed in the ground and saying, well, I hope that when I cure the first sick, this is going to taste good where I can come out with a particular cigar. It's no different than being a great bourbon maker or a scotch maker where, you know, you you, you, you got to analyze this and it's an evolution that's going on throughout the years and what you're going to come up with. Hence why it takes me 27 to 36 months with aged tobacco on what I'm going to do. And then coming up with the, with the criteria where, you know, my team says, I like this and coming up to a, you know, to a, a synopsis where everybody kind of agrees because not everybody agrees because everybody has a different flavor characters. We actually blindfold our people because I don't want them to see what they're smoking. And one of the things we do when, when we smoke cigars is we taste cigars, right? But we're always looking at them and perception is reality. And if you look at something, you, you already have something in your mind on what that cigar is going to be by the look of its wrapper. And that's not necessarily true. So it's a complex thing. You know, I, uh, I have a, I have a YouTube channel and, and I always, and I talked about it recently, you know, how do I come up with a blend of a cigar and, one of the guys said, wow, you know, because I, I tried to talk to every aspect about how it is. It's not like you put three leaves together and you, you make a cigar. You got to all of a sudden add to the dosage of the blend by the ring gauges. Well, what the ring gauge, what is the ring gauge going to be for that cigar to really taste the way it's going to taste? You know, you know it as well as I do, John. If, if it was up to us, we'd make 42s, 44s, 46s, and 50s, and we'd be at the beach this morning. But, we, you know, we, we're making 50s, 54s, 56s, and 60s. And a lot of people are saying, why do you make these big sizes? What's well, because it's what you want, one. And the second thing is, is to get the pronounced flavor of I want in that particular cigar. You got to give it, got to give it a little bit of space to make it work. And you can't do that with petite Coronas and Lonsdales and, you know, number fours and little sizes like that. You're not going to get anything of, of what the consumer wants. And you know it as well as anybody, our consumers are asking for more and more flavor. And that's what we're trying to, we're trying to get them. And a lot of times we have to work that with varieties of seeds. We have to deal with weather phenomena. There's a, there's a tremendous amount of effort that it's made to get these cigars to be not only consistent, but to taste right to the way the consumer wants them, regardless of what he wants and what blend it is. Absolutely. I think that was really well said, Nick. Uh, you know, before we continue with this conversation, I just want to get to our news segment really quickly. Um, our news segment this week brought to you once again by McAuliffe Cigars. Uh, McAuliffe Cigars, head over to McAuliffeCigars.com. You can become an ambassador today. Sign up and get your official ambassador number, your ambassador coin, and while you're at it, pick up a McAuliffe tasting passport and submit it back to McAuliffe for a chance to win some awesome prizes at your local cigar shop. Uh, this week, uh, news of something that was highly anticipated uh, coming into the market here towards the end of the year into the holiday season is now being delayed. Tatuaje has announced the delay of the advent calendar until mid-2022. Uh, and Pete Johnson had said this is due to delays in his packaging um, 
and it will be released in 2022 alongside the 2022 version. Uh, this was something that I saw at the trade show. Nick, I don't know if you, you happen to get around the show or, or see uh, or, you know, have any interaction with I know you were there uh, with the Advent calendar that, that Pete had come up with as well as a couple other brands. Interesting concept. I know it's something he had been talking about for a while. Uh, but that is now being delayed until middle of next year. Um, you know, packaging. Now, that's another thing. You know, in this past year, we've seen uh, a lot of delays with not only, you know, the cigars and the tobaccos themselves, but, you know, packaging and all sorts of manufacturing. And, and being so in, in, um, vertically integrated, you know, like Perdomo Cigars, you know, what kind of challenges did you guys see? And, 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 and if any, are you, are you still getting caught up from last year? Or are you guys... Uh, still on a good track after you know everything that went down during the pandemic. We were blessed because during during COVID, we never closed, whether it be the United States or Central America. We ran full bore, um, and you know, wood wood guys would call us up and say, "Listen, we have an excess of wood because a lot of guys didn't take the wood because of COVID. They cut it down. We have a lot of a lot of wood available, and I'd say bring it on." Um, you know, um, that was that was one of the things we did. Uh, a lot of people said that it worked worked for me, especially the accountant said, "I think you're buying too much. I think I think you're growing too much." And I I just thought that during this thing, if we were all going to stay home, and a lot of people, a lot of the bigger states had to stay home, I assumed they were going to smoke more cigars, and I thought the market would grow. So um, a lot of factories slowed down. Um, we kept our people working full bore. We worked Monday through Saturday during the whole COVID thing. And uh, it was a good bet that I made. And uh, we've shipped 99.48% complete since 2013, and we still continue that way. Our, our retailers are getting the cigars they want, and I'm happy about that, and our consumers are. Um, we just built a new training facility just outside of Esteli to be able to continue to, to train people because, you know, we have guys that have been on their third generation with the company. Some guys are getting long in the tooth. You know, our average guys work for a little over 20 years in Central America. So we need to start getting younger. We're doing it and we're, we're ramping up to that. You know, I, I'm, I'm the optimist. I always see the glass half full, not half empty as, as, as the great President Reagan once said, and I, I never forgot that. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're good stewards of our money. We're, we're completely debt free and we just make cigars and continue making them. And, you know, we want to be able to store and age cigars so we can deliver them to our consumers. But, uh, you know, our wood production is through the roof. Uh, the biggest problem we're having and you hit on the head is packaging. All our packaging comes from Holland. That's a helicopter flying by me. I'm sorry, but, um, is, is, is packaging, um, you know, and what we've done is we've, we've ordered double and triple what we've needed and that's the only reason we've 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 been able to keep up but you know nobody wants to have inventories of paper products for three and four years but i made the decision together with my team that it was better doing that than not having it and our consumers having to wait there's an old saying nobody should wait to give you their money and um i'm a big i'm a big believer in it um, our, our salesmen are happy because they can sell cigars, but I understand the dilemma because of, of COVID where guys, you know, they had to watch their dollars because they didn't really know what was going to happen. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't fault them at all for that. And nor, nor should the consumer. I just, 
I just, I just, I just threw all the chips down and said, let's keep going. And it was, it was a good bet. A lot of people probably didn't do that. And it worked out for us. And I just thought a finished product in an aging room, if I don't sell it this year, I'll sell it next year. And I'll be able to keep costs down at the same time because every year John knows that fertilizers go up, everything goes up and wood goes up and so on. If I have it inside our facilities and under our roof, if I don't use it today, I'll use it tomorrow. And I, the retailer will win, the consumer will win, and we'll win at the end. And <clears throat> I'm glad I did that. I, um, you know, I've, I've even helped some people out that were low on, on certain types of tobacco and so on to, to keep them going because they were, they were pretty dried up and, and that's what we're supposed to do. My father taught me that a long time ago. You help, you help, you help, you help your guys. You know what I mean? I got, I got a pretty good, good reputation, and I, I get along with a lot of the guys in Nicaragua. But I know a lot of them have had to struggle and struggle with workers and so on and so on. And I wanted to keep our team working, and thank God we've been really good. We haven't had much, no turnover. We really haven't had really too many people get COVID. Um, the only thing that people, we're losing is we're losing. And, and this is happening all through Central America, and I'm sure it's happening in Dominican Republic. Maybe John can echo on that. You know, people are losing workers going across the border because we have this porous, wide-open border where they're telling everybody, you know, welcome to America. If you're, if you're an American coming from Nicaragua, you got to take a COVID test or you can't get in. But if you're an illegal and you ain't got a job, you can come in free and clear. It doesn't make any sense to me. But I hear a lot of factories are losing workers. Uh, through through illegal immigration, and I don't know if that's happening, John, but we're seeing that in uh, Central. Yeah, America. no, we we don't we don't see it in the Dominican. But I mean, but Central America is where where this situation is occurring, and they're I mean they're going through the country that you operate in. So it's and the Dominican is very different than those countries, fortunately, on that level. Uh, but you mentioned something that was interesting, and I'll, I'll bust Pete's balls a little bit. Um, Nick's a little bit more of a gentleman than I am. But um, it, it's going to be really hard to release a Christmas advent calendar in the middle of the year when it's not Christmas. He'll be successful with it. He's the master of it. But I guarantee you it's going to be promoted as Christmas in July. I promise you that's what it's going to be. If it shows up, then that's exactly what he's going to do. He's a master of marketing with his stuff and his concepts are cool. Um, you know, the I, I, he had a lot of intense packagings coming out this year. I mean, he had his Halloween edition with all the additions in it. The, the coffin, Monster Mash. And then he had, yeah, and then he had the coffin, which came as a surprise. Uh, but miraculously, was I don't think a six thousand box thing is a surprise. You know that was planned with the monster series with releasing his original to Frank again. But um, but yeah, nobody plans for packaging. No, there's a lot of things that people don't plan for in this industry, which I'll I'll tell you, we could go through a whole list. And I'm sure this stuff that you see from time to time, Nick, when you talk with other manufacturers, where it's like, how could you not plan that? I guarantee you, everybody now is trying to plan for more packaging type things in advance, and which is putting a demand on packaging you know getting things over from different countries i'm shocked that there hasn't been a significant shortage in tubes as most of those tubes come from china um and i'm surprised that we haven't seen a shortage of that so i would say going forward if you're a consumer and you walk or keep an eye in these stock tube areas maybe even you don't buy it just kind of over and i i think you'd be surprised a shortage on that uh sometime very soon if we, uh, if we aren't already there's no doubt about it. I mean, we're we're seeing gift boxes that are coming from Asia where I've talked to some of my friends who are in the industry. They're not going to get them this year. They were expecting them in September, uh, in August, as a matter of fact. Um, 
you just got to stay so far ahead of the game, John and Matt, to, to, to keep on this. And, and listen, I'm blessed. I mean, I make my own buy. I mean, we pretty much do everything. Uh, if it was up to me, everybody's against me on this, but I'd, I'd like to buy a bunch of Heidelberg machines and print my own stuff if I could. But everybody says we shouldn't do that. So that's the only thing we don't do is pay for products, and maybe we should. Our friends at Ride Guy don't want to hear that. But, um, you know, nobody should wait. And, um, you know, Europe is a different animal than America, and and our friends in Holland have shut down, open, shut down, and open, and I've tried to jump in every opportunity of open, over-order things to make sure our consumers and our retailers get their products, because they're struggling, too, because if they don't have cigars in the humidor, they can't make any money, and sometimes I scratch my head when I when I see them. You know, if if John, Matt, and Nick owned a wine shop and we had empty wine racks because certain wine companies didn't deliver, by God, we'd be we'd be filling those wine racks with wine, and uh, the retailers have to do the same thing. They got to get cigars in there, or they're going to be struggling. So this COVID thing has been a terrible thing for everybody in, in every industry. And uh, you know, the only thing I can tell you is there was nothing good about COVID, but for cigars, it was good because the consumption has gone up exponentially. Uh, 19 was a ma- monster year for us. 20 bypassed that. And we're up almost 32% ahead of last year, which was a record year. And uh, our inventories, yeah, our inventories are coming down. And the only reason I could have kept up with it is because I'm always getting yelled at by our bean counter saying that I overproduce, I overmake, I overgrow, I grow too much tobacco. And thank God I've, I've done that because to me, it's money in the bank. I'm not making any money putting money in a bank, but having all those bales of well-aged fillers, binders, and wrappers, that's going to feed our consumers, our retailers, and our workers in our company. And I think it's really important. And uh, whether it be our sales team around the world or, or our guys in Miami, one of the great things is retailers ask all the time, do you have cigars? And we're like, yes, at the ready. And I know it's frustrating for, for a lot of the companies when – when they can't sell things and they get yelled at and so on. But it has to do a lot of this with COVID. That's the truth. Was it, was it rewarding because the, the bean counters you mentioned, those bean counters work for you and you, you have them work for you to keep things financially in the right spot. Was it rewarding for you? And how was your conversation with them when you, when you essentially told them so? When, when, when well, they said, Nick, hey, we've got this going. Did you walk in and say, I told you so and walk out? Or was there, was there a Yeah, the whole thing is they're always telling me I'm crazy. You know, when, when we ate the S-chip tax, when Obama came in in 2008, uh, our, our head accountant, Mark Wolfson, said, you're out of your mind. You know, I actually cut prices, absorbed the tax 100%. I said, we need more market share. We, we have a product to sell. We'll expand. He said, you're crazy. And then this year he said, you know what? I'll never tell you you're crazy ever again. So I didn't have to tell him I told you so. And it's funny. I mean, I've had the same firm that's been with the company for 28 years. They're, they're, they're snipers, but they're not business people. You know, there's businessmen and there's, you know, there's, there's bean counters. And, you know, they, they're the masters of the obvious. You know, make maximum margin, produce the minimums possible, be right at zero at the end of the year so you don't have to. But that's not the way reality is whether it be in the cigar industry or in the bourbon industry or the scotch industry or the wine industry, you have to carry tremendous amounts of inventory to be able to produce what the consumer wants. And uh, they they don't get the, uh, you know, I'd love to be able to produce widgets, sell 100 of them a year, make only 100 of them a year, 
use but that's not the way it works we you know we have to age tobacco john knows this you have to have tremendous amounts of inventories of tobacco you could have a bad crop you know we had two hurricanes this year and we had a phenomenal crop it was a blessing of god but that doesn't normally happen so uh things have things have been good you, you see what what's happening with imports in nicaragua and, and basically imports of cigars all around the world i've never seen anything like this in my life in 2021 we had a russian distributor in this morning around 10 30 saying i am lock stock out of your cigars and these guys have these massive tax stamps that they have to they're super expensive just on a cigarillo it's five dollars and sixty cents of tax um you should see how much cigars cost in moscow and he gave me this massive order and the order is almost a year of production that they normally buy in a year our german distributors are uh you know austrian guys swiss guys they're all tripling quadrupling their orders and they're saying we're not trying to over order what we're trying to do is we're trying to feed the stores because it's not just us. It's the Cubans, it's the Dominicans, it's Honduras. They have no cigars in a lot of these stores all around the world, not just in America. So it's great news to us, but we're trying to – look, America first, I'll be quite honest with you, okay? A great man said that one time, and I'm, I'm a big believer in it. So we're, we're, we're trying to get our American retailers first and foremost. Those are the guys that took us to the dance, but we're also trying to get our partners all around the world situated and make sure that they get cigars because they hurt too so um our guys are working diligently working very hard to make sure that we get we get our retailers all around the world cigars but it's 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 getting tougher because you can only estimate so much demand i always have this thing in my mind john and matt that i'm going to grow my business by 25 percent and it's an exaggeration but it hasn't been an exaggeration i've been i've been very conservative if you look back especially from, you know, 19, 20, and 21. And we're all seeing it. And John probably can echo the same statements. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned, you know, even the other industries that are similar, especially like the bourbon industry. The bourbon industry is experiencing, I think, what the cigar industry experienced in the 90s. I mean, anybody who's a regular bourbon drinker knows uh, – they're really struggling to keep up with demand, and they were struggling to keep up with demand before the pandemic. I mean, there's just, I mean, you go into, you know, I have a, I have a bottle with me right now. You have a bottle of Blanton's, right? Everyone knows Blanton's. If you're a bourbon drinker, you know Blanton's. There was a time when you could walk in the store, and you could grab this for forty bucks. Now you go into a liquor store and you ask for it, and they just laugh at you and they're like, yeah, "We don't have that." I mean, the the distilleries are are expanding rapidly. I know Buffalo Trace, who makes you know Blantons, you know they they're spending like two three billion dollars just to expand their facility to keep up with the demand, make more barrels, put more barrels into aging. Um, you know, the same company who at at the same time, you know, I think is is uh, a little similar to 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 like Nick, you know, with the quality that one of their their most highly popular bourbons that they come up with every year, the George T. Stag from the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection. Uh, everyone was waiting this week to hear about, okay, you know, what's the proof going to be this year? When's it coming out? And they announced, hey, you know what? The quality of the liquid in the barrels from 2006, um, it, it didn't really fit what we wanted to do. The, the, the flavor profile wasn't there. It didn't taste consistent. We're just not going to put it out this year, and it won't be available. Um, we don't want to take from next year's barrels because then we won't have any for next year. So we're just going to scrap this year and move on. And that's a really bold move, um, you know, for, for any industry. It's the right move. Yeah, it's, it's the right move. Uh, it's a difficult move, but it's the right move. Um, you know, it's, it's hard, and there's people who are disappointed, but 
when you put your name on something, and I think, Nick, this is a big thing for you. You put your name on something, you have a product out there, you're not just going to go, well, it doesn't taste right, but throw it in a bottle and get it out anyway because people are going to want it. Because people are going to taste it and be like, hey, you know what? This batch sucks. It doesn't taste like it normally does. You know, I spent I spent all this money. That's a, that's not a cheap bottle. You know, I spent all this money, and the product is not consistent. And Nick, I feel like that's that's been such an echo to you and Perdomo in in terms of what you guys do. It's just you know, always keeping well, up with that consistently, too. no matter what. Well, you look too, Matt, which is one of the challenging things. Significantly smaller in size, but what Nick's doing. Um, but we had a pretty good 2019. We had finished a big expansion, and we had planned to grow about 30 or 40 percent in production in 2019. So 2020 hits, you're ramping that up, and we were in really good shape until about July. And now we're playing catch up because of labor and whatnot. Uh, but also the unique thing with this industry is you, you look at the numbers that have just been released. It was something like last year was like 28% growth as an industry. Um, the month of July, I think, was up like 60%. This is an industry that grew maybe 1%, 2% a year overall. So when you were growing 10 15% as a company over a year after year, you're, you're grabbing from somebody else. Now, Absolutely. the demand is bigger than what the growth was ever planned for. And these companies were planning for one or two percent growth industry-wide and then hey i'm going to grow 10 or 15 percent because i'm going to take a bigger piece from the pie this year and then next year i'm going to try to grow five percent so if you're planning on an industry growing one or two percent and you're you know that growth can allow you to grow 10 percent if it then grows 30 in a year overall i lost you i lost you on the last on the last uh yeah, so I, I mentioned, you know, when the when the industry grows one or two percent, you're you're essentially planning for flat growth as an industry wide. Uh, and when you have that large growth, this is the first time that the pie literally got bigger at the same time that you were planning just to take bites out of it. Not you personally, but you know, companies planning that. You know, hey, I'm just going to grow five or ten percent, and I can say the industry grew one percent, two percent. Now the industry grew thirty, so we're dealing with something that's so much bigger, and you planned on maybe 1% growth industry-wide, which is really hard uh, to maintain that type of thing. And it's a, you being, a, I, I think this environment um, with the with the boom we're in in cigars has been, you know, no more beneficial to anyone uh, than your brand. Uh, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of branch. You're struggling to plan of how do I grow uh, more? How do, you know, I've always planned to grow 20, 25% in my head. That's what I'm thinking. Um, you know, and now the industry's outgrowing what your grandiose goal was Nobody else was planning that way, so it, it's an impossible feat uh, that these manufacturers are dealing with right now, and our industry is dealing with. Because you, you didn't plan for this, you plan for flat growth every year. Yeah, I just got lucky. I uh, I just rolled the dice. Even during the the Obama years, where we were growing around one or two percent because of regulation and taxes and S chip, I still kept just building stocks and stocks of inventory. We just built a. A thirty-five, believe it or not, a thirty-thousand-square-foot aging facility where we can have finished cigars there. We have three factories that are running full-time, together with a training facility where we just started being able to get really excellent cigars that we can put. And I'm trying to build stocks again. You know, we—I'm uh, not going to tell you the exact numbers, but we had in excess of about thirteen million cigars in aging at one time, and we went down in eighteen, almost four million cigars and. Uh, I remember my accountant said, look, if we continue doing this, 
we're going to run out of products in 2024, 2025 at our present production, even with the growth of 20%. So we built a new facility in the center of town to try to make things a little easier. It was a small facility, and but produced a lot of cigars. And we just had our, our third facility. And it's very small right now. It's only producing about 9,800 cigars a day. But, you know, you look at that. And, you know, in, in a six-day work week, you get 60,000 cigars a week, 200 and, uh, 245,000 cigars a month we're averaging. And you're talking an extra 3 million cigars. And we're using that for stock because our major facility is, is able to continue, even with our rapid growth, which, which we've had, you know, it, we've, we've been able to build the stocks. And we've been able to also continue our growing operations and continue in the expansion, not only in Esteli, but... The Condega Valley and the Jalapa Valley. I'm, I guess I'm a gambler. I'm a business guy. I never played a. I never played in Las Vegas in my life. And a friend of mine said, "You're the biggest gambler in the world." And I said, "How do you figure?" He said, "Well, you run a business." And I just, like I said earlier, guys, I threw my, my chips out and I said, "I'm going for this because to me, nothing's better than having a tremendous amount of wrappers, fillers, and binders." I was just with David Perez from ASP Enterprises, who's our been growing our Connecticut seed wrappers for over 25 years. And I said, I want to expand to another container. And I want to, I want to expand these containers to be even bigger. And he said, I'm all in. And he has the stock and we're going to buy it. We're going to be able to keep it and continue aging wrappers from him for years to come. So we can make sure, listen, I'm getting old. I'm going to be a grandfather. John's going to be a dad, but I'm older than you, John. I'm going to be a grandfather. You got autumn. I'm going to have Stella here next month. I'm telling my wife, John, John's going to have his daughter, his first daughter, in about, I'm predicting October 16th, my son's birthday. Okay. So if I win, okay. you let me know, okay? <laughs> I'm saying right. the 16th. Well, you know. So, uh, and, and, and and my granddaughter will be there a, a month after after your daughter. I'm saying November 16th for, for Natalie's baby. So we're going to be happier guys. So, But, but I want to make sure that, that when I when I become James Polk and ride out to the sunset, I want to make sure that my son and Arthur and all my guys and and our company have you know that the, the ship is turned in the right way and we're 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 continuing moving forward. And the best way we do that is having a tremendous amount of, of, of finished cigars, a tremendous amount of inventory of well-aged fillers, binders, and wrappers, and uh, everybody's going to win because of that. I think it's essential. You know, it's funny that you you bring up you know that next generation. And, you know, we were at PCA, you know, I know that Nicholas spoke um, with, uh, I think, Liana Fuente, Raquel Casada, um, about being that next generation, you know, and, and setting, you know, and, and taking that torch, you know, for, for that company and leading it into the next generation, you know. Um, you've come such a long way, you know, with Perdomo. Perdomo being, you know, so successful and so big as it is. And now, you know, Nicholas... And, you know, being the next, being the next Perdomo to, to take that torch, it's it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be hard to let go of that torch for you. You know, I know the kind of guy you are. You know, you love you love it. You know, this is what you do. This is your passion. This is your namesake. You you, you grew this, but being able to to t to pass it to your son, but also it's also like, well, I don't want to let go either. So I, I can imagine that being a, uh, a, a Nick. Can you still hear us? Sorry. Yeah, like I hear you, you but I'm, I'm, I'm getting some feedback on the bottom. Ah. John, can it's you hear me again? Can you guys hear me? I can hear you. John, can you hear me? Everybody good? 
Yeah, we can hear you. I think he's got a, an issue with the headphones. Yeah, I think so, too. It might be an issue with the headphones. I'm going to try to I find with these headphones, so I've got... Oh, we lost uh, him. He'll, he'll be back on. I, I find with these headphones, dude, the more technology you have... Like, so my headphones, my headphones are connected to my computer, my truck, my phone, and my watch. So I have to make sure before I go on a show that everything's disconnected. Oh, yeah. I get a FaceTime call on a watch or my or my, or my uh, phone picks something up, I mean, forget about it. Anybody that watches... Uh, if yeah, I get it. a call, if anybody watched Hacking Gourmet early on, if I'd get a phone call on something, my phone was tense, you know, a couple rooms over, shut my whole show off. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I well, remember I, those I, days. I just, I, I, just took, I just took my headsets off. Do you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, okay, I'm going to just try to talk louder so you, you can hear. So uh, <laughs> I couldn't really hear you. We had some technical difficulties. I'm sorry. You had to. You might have to repeat what you That's said fine. again. That's fine. That's okay. fine. Well, now, talking, we're talking about the next generation, and you know, and that that being passed down and prepping them. And he was mentioning how Nicholas had been on uh, some panels with you know the next generation of other companies with Liana Fuente, the Casada family. Uh, there's some others involved in it, and um, you know, he's certainly the next generation of that. And it's always been about the family. The name's right on the product, so it's it's interesting to watch that, and you know, and how that matures. We're, we're essentially talking about the next generation. Oh, yeah, and we're, I'm blessed that I have a next generation. You know I mean? I have an exit strategy of when I decide, look, I ain't going anywhere. So <laughs> I'm, I'm planning on hanging out for at least another decade. And I'm still fairly young, and I, I love it. You know, I was just doing an event. I was doing some events just recently up in Wisconsin and Illinois, and so a guy who I've known for a long time says, do you get tired of doing it? And I said, no, I, I love it. Um, you know, the bean counters say, why do you do it? I said, because I love it. Look, guys. Nobody comes up to me and says, I'm getting divorced, I'm getting screwed, I need a box of cigars. Everybody's happy to see you. You know what I mean? It's, it's a blessing, you know what I mean, when you really think about it. I'm also very proud of, of my son, Nicholas. You know, he's always wanted to do this. I could show you pictures of him on a rolling table at two years old. I mean, um, you know, Case and Tobacco at six in Nicaragua, spending summers with my dad, spending summers with Aristides Garcia learning how to roll cigars at 12 years old with Sarah Gonzalez and trying to use the best form and really to work. And I mean, this is a kid who really walked the walk. I always wanted my kids to do whatever they want. My daughter wanted to get in the law. That was great. We always need a good lawyer. And hey, listen, in 29 years, my daughter will be the first lawyer I've ever met in my life who hasn't tried to screw me. So I'm, you know, I'm pretty blessed when you, when you really think about it. Right. So, uh, you know, um, you know, the thing of it is, is, you know, I wanted my kids to blaze their own trail. And it's nice that we got some next generations <clears throat> going on where we see some young people that are interested in getting into the cigar business. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy that, that my son wants to be in it. He's got great tutelage, not only from me, but our, our vice president, Arthur Kemper. And listen, you got to walk the walk where you talk the talk. I mean, there's a succession and the succession for Nicholson. He knows he's not going to be probably the next president of the company, but he'll get there eventually. But we're always going to move our best people into the next segment. And I, I, I do have an exit strategy. I do have a, a future president of the company when I decide to be maybe chairman of the board and hang out with my grandkids. And, you know, maybe I, you know, I have a grandson and, you know, he's, he's, he's rocking it and he decides he wants to meet Autumn up in, in Orlando. And I come up and visit John and, you know, it's, you know, you never know. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
the, uh, you know, the funny, the funny thing is uh, that chairman of the board position is a great thing. I, I got a family, uh, not business that I'm involved in, but the business my father does some consulting for over the years. And uh, they were just talking about that similar type of strategy and whatnot. But uh, I think the smartest thing you've done, and I, I credit this to I give you and Lito both really strong credit on this. You both named your sons after you. So there's always going to be a Nick Perdomo. They're the same way with, with, with your father. Um, you know, Lito, Lito's named his youngest son Lito. Uh, so there's, there's a Lito Gomez, and that's part of, a, you know, that's part of a, a family planning strategy, really, at the same time, and honoring, you know, your family. And I, I, I see in the cigar business that the two that I think of is, is your son. Obviously, he's older than, than Junior. Uh, but, you know, having that person there that has that name, that has the history, that's the next generation in it. You know, it's a it essentially it's the uh, you know, it's the, the next coming of you uh, in the future. You know, that's how those types of things work. So uh, you were you were smart to uh, to do that. Yeah. And, and, and look, I, I grinded my son. Everybody in Miami in our workforce around America will tell you that he didn't he didn't get a uh, he didn't get a um, he didn't get a pass. He, he, he really had to walk the walk. And uh, I was tough on him because he is my son. I didn't want anybody to say, you know, this is Nick's son. I wanted him to really earn it. So, you know, whether he was emptying containers, casing tobacco, planting tobacco, or working the worst consumers or, or retailers you could ever think of during trade shows when he started 16 years old, and I give him a fake ID to come to the RTDA shows, I wanted him to really walk the walk. You know what I mean? And, um, I thought it was important, you know. My uh, my battery, uh, real quick, my battery on this thing is going down to 10%. I don't know why I haven't plugged it. But uh, I'm telling my wife that she's my, my IT girl. Um, I'm a Samsung guy. I'm not really a uh, an iPhone or an Apple guy. And just Apple products are like the Joe Biden of electronics. I mean, it's just crazy. You know, <laughs> behind, behind every strong man, there's a stronger woman. Oh, right? absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I haven't plugged in. You would figure it would, it would stay, you know, charged up for some reason. But I haven't, I haven't charged up. Let me uh, let's see if it keeps working. We'll keep, we'll keep going as, as long as we can. If I have to, I'll go back to my, my cell phone. We won't stop this. But, um, my, my, my phone's a Samsung, so it'll, it'll hold the charge for two days. But um, yeah, I mean, it is a blessing that I that, that 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 I have somebody in my family who's interested in, in being in the industry because a lot of kids don't. And I would have had no problem if if my son did. You know, people always ask me, "Do you want to sell the company?" I said, "No," because I I have an exit strategy and I'm going nowhere. You know what I mean? I'm 57 years old. I think I can work till 67 or 70. Even though some of my guys would love to see me be chairman of the board. Who knows? But uh, I, I, I still I still I still really enjoy it, and uh, I'm gonna be here for a while. I mean, look at Jose Blanco. I mean, he's he's like what? He, I think he's in his 70s now, right? And he's he's still out there. He's still kicking, you know. He looks and he, look, and he, look, and he looks great, you know. He yeah. Looks great, and I and I still I still enjoy going out on the road. I still, you know, I I was gonna go out in November to Texas, and I had to cancel because my 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 granddaughter's gonna be born in November, but. I still got seven more events to go before the the end of the year. I would have had, you know, thirteen events if I would have if I would have stayed in probably December. I would have had another seven, so I would have had probably twenty twenty one more events to do before the end of the year. And then, not to mention, you know, thirty forty stores a week that I would have worked in the next 
three months, you talk, you know, another 120 stores that I could have went out to visit. But, you know, I got to take time for my uh, for my family. And, and, and I really want to hang out with my granddaughter, Stella. And I'm sure I'm sure John needs to, to lay off a little bit and hang out with Autumn and, and, and help his wife, too. It's, it's important. Family first. Absolutely. Uh, guys, we're going to we're gonna go a little uh, – we'll take a break from the serious stuff. Have a little fun for a minute here. We're going to go to our top three segment, which is brought to you by Room 101 Brands. Room 101 is more than just a cigar brand. It's a lifestyle brand. It's also the maker of premium cigars. Matt Booth, owner of Room 101, invites you to become enchanted with the Room 101 brand. Uh, this week's top three, you guys can both answer. Nick, you go first. You're our guest. You guys are both men of Miami, or John, formerly a man of Miami. Um, what are your th What are your top three favorite spots to go in Miami, whether it's a night out or wherever it is? What are your three favorite spots in Miami that someone was coming to Miami? You got you you tell them, hey, you can't miss this place. You got to check it out. There's so many great places in Miami, John Connecticut. It's a phenomenal city. It's uh... That's a tough one, but I think the first thing you got to do is you got to visit, visit Sunny Isles Beach. We have one of the greatest beaches in the world, beautiful water. Um, we have a great park system. If you have young children that want to go around, I think Brickle in, in the downtown Miami area is a must. And we have some of the finest restaurants in all of North America. And I was talking to John earlier before the show. You know, a lot of times we do events, and we finish at 9 or 10 o'clock at night, and I can't find a place to eat outside the Waffle House. And one of the great things about Miami is you can find 100 places to eat after 10 o'clock. So Miami's a special place, but uh, there there's just so much stuff to do, whether you're young, medium, or old. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's a blessing to live here. The, uh, yeah, Miami's one of the few places when you jump on one of those restaurant reservation apps, the 9 and 10 o'clock hours are the ones that are booked. You can get in anywhere at 7. You just can't get in at 9 or 10. <clears throat> Mine are all going to be food. Uh, food for me obviously my, my favorite spots my you know my partners there and friends at at the wagyu bar meat and bone they, they do a lot with us on the gourmet sessions but that's where a, where, where is that at? i haven't eaten there it, it's on it's on coral way um they've got a spot they, they've got a spot in uh they have a meat market in coral springs um but they their their actual restaurant their wagyu bar which is essentially a showroom for their their meats um, and they just, they actually just released, I just saw this yesterday. They just released a new brunch menu. They've got like a five Miyazaki little sandwiches for like $6. So they got some crazy stuff there on their brunch menu, but it's on Coral way 22nd and 22nd. Um, and what's it, what's the name of the restaurant again? It's called the, the Wagyu bar. My wife yep. is writing it down as we speak. We'll have yeah, to visit. Yeah, Highly recommend. <laughs> it's a little tiny boutique style place. It's Love fantastic. It. Tell them I sent you in. And uh, they'll take care of you. Ask for, ask for Gabriel. Uh, Gabriel, and if he's around, he'll take care of you. But, yeah, Wagyu Bar is my favorite spot uh, to go first. Uh, my second spot that I go to is Planta, which is going to sound weird. It's a, it's a vegan restaurant. It's incredible. Um, absolutely amazing. Planta is great. That's, a, that's in South Beach, Miami, and South Point. And then uh, the next spot that I always take people to is Mr. O-One Pizza. Mr. One Pizza, it's the best pizza in Miami, hands down. It got an 8-9 on the One Bite uh, Barstool's pizza uh, program. So, yeah, those are my top three. So, Wagyu Bar, Planta, and then Mr. One. Everyone that comes down to Miami and visits me, uh, if they're down there for three days. Uh, sorry, if they're down there for two days, they get dinner at one of those places each night, and then we do lunch at, uh, at Mr. One. Well, I'll throw out one. I'll throw out Sea Grill in North Miami. Um 
phenomenal Greek restaurant, fresh seafood flown in every day, um, open till late every single day. It, it's super. Ask for Giovanni when you go there. Um, oh, God, there's so many good places. Uh, there's a great Mexican restaurant on Biscayne and 148 called, what's that called? Chaz, what's the name of that restaurant, Janine? Janine. Janine. What's the name of the Mexican restaurant that we really like? It's C-H-E-E-N, and the last is H-U-A-Y-E. It's on Biscayne and 148th. It's run by a Mexican family. The food, you'll eat your fingers. Everything is fresh. They don't even have a microwave oven. I really, I really love that. Um, we, we just have so many great restaurants here in Miami that uh, you can find anything. Of course, we have phenomenal Cuban restaurants. One of my favorites, Molina's in Hialeah. I've been eating there since I was 13 years old. Solid, rock solid if you want great Cuban food. Um, you know, if you're, if you're in the touristy thing, you got to stop by at Joe Stone Crab. Uh, but I'm really interested in, in, in seeing Gabriel over there on, on Coral Way in 24. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. By the way, it's a very it's a very Miami thing. This is how you know how many restaurants there are down down there. I mean, it's world class food. Is it, it? It's not. If you ask somebody for their top like ten places to eat, I guarantee you four or five of them are going to be given to you by where they're located, not by the name. The, the Mexican place on One Forty Eight in Biscayne. Okay? Yeah. That, that that is such a Miami thing. Oh, there's this place that's got good burgers. What's it called? Oh, uh, well, it's on it's on uh you know Forty Seventh and Fifth or or whatever. It, it, you, you'll find it. Just it's right on that corner. It, that's such a Miami thing. It, it's true. It really is because we have we have so many restaurants and there's so many good ones. I mean, literally, John could could attest to. We could probably eat at a different restaurant every day for our lifespan with oh, the amount of restaurants we got in Miami. It's great, and I think it rivals New York or or Chicago or any other great city that has a lot of great restaurants. I had the luxury. Discussion. I had the luxury oh, of. Sorry. Uh, go, yeah. I was going to say, well, I was yeah. down in Miami earlier this year, and I, and I was with both of you. I had the luxury and opportunity to go to all the restaurants that John mentioned, including Planta, which I, you know, when he told me in the car, I looked down and I go, dude, I don't know about that. And he said, trust me, you're going to like this. I said, it, I, I'm not, I like meat. And he said, just, just go. And I said, okay. And I went, and it was better than I expected. I'm like, okay, it's not that bad. I can, I can do this. There was some good stuff there, especially that broccoli. That was good. Uh, Sunny Isles Beach, I had the opportunity to go there. That was beautiful. Uh, that was a great day. Um, so yeah, I, I've actually I can attest to all these. These are these are some good spots uh, that these two gentlemen have mentioned. Very very high class areas. <laughs> well, well, you you can see me and John. We don't have the most girlish figures. We like to eat, and uh, yeah. so we, we know good food. If John says it's a good restaurant, I'm taking it to the bank. <laughs> yeah, when it, when people come down, it's funny because like it's it's my routine. And they expect a meat extravaganza, which which I give them by going to the Wagyu bar. But but, uh, but I'm always like, I'm like, we're going to go to the meat place the first night. And this is what I said to Matthew and Nicole. I said, but then I'm going to take you to a vegan restaurant. And the, their eyes get open. It's like, what do you mean John Carney is going to take me to a vegan restaurant? I'm like, you're going to love it. It's, it's, it's amazing. And we do that and we top it off with the pizza. But there's been a lot of discussion on a culinary side. That, you know, that's my background growing up um, in Miami, there's, there's a pitch to try to get Miami to be Michelin rated um, and be one of the cities that are Michelin rated. You have a lot of Michelin star restaurants from around the country that have opened up, chefs have opened up restaurants in Miami. So 
I think that if anybody follows that type of thing, I think you're going to see Miami be the next one on the list sometime here in the next few years where you start getting uh, the, the recognition that that city deserves in terms of its culinary expertise. Without a doubt. Absolutely. Um, so, guys, you know, we have a little bit – we have uh, just a little bit of time left on the show. Um, getting ready to wind down here. Uh, I want to thank both of you for being here with us tonight. It's been a great night. We've covered a lot of stuff. You know, Nick, you know, you're uh, – you, we'll, we'll end the show on this. You know, you, you've had a lot of success. A lot of success. Sorry, I'm starting to lose the uh, lose the momentum of the voice. Uh, you've you've had a lot of success with the 10th anniversary Maduro. Uh, I believe you've already you've already gotten uh, two. Is it two two separate cigar of the year awards on that one already? Uh, I know we got three. We got three. We got one from Tobacco Business Daily, which is our trade magazine, and that was great because it was it was voted on by consumers. We right. got one with Cigar Authority with David Garofalo's uh, fine podcast. Uh, and, and then we, we just got recently one with Cigar Journal, and that was also done with consumers. And I think that's a big thing. You know, I got a big problem with ratings and testings with three or four people rate cigars that were never even in the cigar industry in their lives and are telling you that they're tasting hints of coconut and mushrooms. I've never tasted that, to be honest <laughs> with you. I don't know if John has. Maybe his palate's better than mine, but I haven't. But I like when thousands of consumers taste something and say, this is what I like. Because John will attest to it, we work for thousands and tens and hundreds of thousands of consumers all around the world that enjoy our products, and and that's that's important to us. So I'm I'm very very proud of those. And to me, the consumer is is, is it. Because let me tell you, I got a tasting panel that has over 300 years of smoking experience. These guys know what they're doing. And when they when we release a cigar, I'm sure John is the same way. With, with their tasting panel, these are guys who really know what they're, what they're doing. So we know that when we come out with a product, it's going to be of excellence in, in quality and construction and, and taste. So we're more than happy when our consumers um, taste cigars and say, this is what I love. So I'm proud of all three of those awards. And, and to have three Cigar of the Year awards by by people that, that smoke cigars and masses of people smoke cigars is, is really humbling to our company and to our workforce, whether it be in Miami or our sales team in the United States or our distribution team around the world. And we're very humbled by that. We want to thank everybody for that. That's the honest truth. Yeah, I think you guys have done a really great job with, you know, all your cigars, you know, but that, that 10th anniversary, you know, those those awards were, were very justified. Those are very, very good cigar, very successful with that. I, 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 I smoked that. Um, first time I had it, actually, was down in Miami. And I loved it, and I've had a few since, and they're, I would say it's probably my new favorite Perdomo Maduro uh, after the 20th. Uh, just blended really well, a lot of flavor, and uh, again, that, that rich Nicaraguan tobacco is really what does it for me. It's just, it's it's in my wheelhouse right now. Um, just, just just loving it so much. Good, great stuff there. Um, but yeah, guys, we are we are running out of time. We are We are winding down the show. Um, so before we go, I do want to uh, throw throw the floor back to you guys. Open mic, whatever you want to say. Nick, I'll let you go first. Um, you know, any, no, let, any... John, let John let John go first on this one. I'm a good right. gentleman. Yeah, all right, good. all right. Yeah, thank you, sir. Uh, first of all, this was excellent. I'm gonna go pick a couple more of these up tomorrow down the street at Don's place. Um, he's got a brand new cigar bar up here in uh, in Winter Park. What, 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 a, what, what a beautiful place. Uh, Don sent me oh. pictures. He's, Don Patel's phenomenal. 
Wait, there's so many. You got you got so many great retailers in Orlando with Jeff Borschwitz and Doc Patel and all the other guys there. It's you're in a good cigar town. So I'm I'm within a mile and a half of downtown Corona, and now I'm less than a half a mile from Don's new store. Um, and his other place was always close to me. It was only two miles away. Uh, but he's literally within throwing distance um, of me. So it's great to have a spot that's that close. So if anybody's up here, check those two places out. I'm going to go pick some of those up. Um, my next announcement will be uh, I'll make a public announcement of when the, baby's come, when the baby comes. I'll let everybody know, and we'll find out who's right. I'm guessing the 13th. The doctors are saying the 19th, and um, everybody's got different numbers out there. Right. Well, congratulations on that. I, I will tell you, as a father of two, it's such a blessing. Um, you're going to love it, and it gets funner every day that goes by, John. You're, you're really going to enjoy it. Um, hey, look, I'm looking forward. Janine and I are looking forward to being grandparents. My dad used to always say if he knew how much fun grandchildren were he would have skipped us and i i can't even believe it <laughs> children children are awesome and uh i think the cigar business is 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 alive and uh i just want to thank everybody out here for for listening and look uh, support matt and support john i mean I, it's great that, that we were able to have these podcasts and talk about our passion and love whether it be cigars or bourbon or scotch and food you guys talk about everything and i'm a fan of the show so thank you for having me tonight absolutely nick it's always a pleasure to have you on here with us uh we really we really appreciate um you coming on with us and, and hanging out and talking you know talking the passion and like you said there's, okay. there's there's so many different things to talk about it's all good stuff food cigars booze you know whatever it's all it's all the guilty pleasures in life <laughs> Um, so yeah, thank you and guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Don't forget to go on, follow, like, subscribe on all of our platforms, Facebook, YouTube, and we're, of course, as always, everywhere podcasts can be found. And with that, we're going to leave you until next week. Also, don't forget we have spare notes this Saturday night with William Cooper and uh, once again for spare notes number eight I want to say and Sunday night we have a very special episode with Mr. Abe Flores of PDR Cigars so don't forget to check that one out guys we will see you next time take care thanks guys <laughs>